I shared with some of you at the annual meeting that speaking doesn't, uh, isn't often my strongest suit. And so, um, like I told you then, I'll just sing everything I'm going to say today <laughs> to make you feel really, really comfortable. I want to, uh, some of you have already seen it, some of you haven't, so I'm going to direct your attention to it so we can just clear the air. Yes, there's a giant TV in the back of the sanctuary now. No, it's not there so that we can watch Seahawks games while you listen to Peter, <laughs> although it wouldn't be a bad idea. Um, it is there. It's a tool that we've been blessed with to um, help aid the, the worship ministry, and I'm going to try and use it today. Um, and hopefully, Lord willing, all the technology that we try to use that should help our services really um, continues to do that and, and help. And so I'm going to try and get my iPad up and running here, maybe. Um, we are in our summer series of, of psalms, and when Peter approached me, he asked, is there a psalm in your life that um, impacts you more than any others? And there happens to be one that's a life verse for me. Uh, and that was Psalm 139, and, uh, and he asked me to share that. And what's hard about that is the reason that it's a life verse is actually not a positive one. It's, it's one that came from a sad time in my life. Uh, it came from a time in which uh, I had my grandparents who raised me when I was younger, and um, my grandmother had knit all of 139 onto a, a kind of a... Um, a board and it sat above my bed in their house and um, as that went on I ended up living with my parents finally later on in life and at the age of 14 when I was a teenager and knew everything um, I went through that rebellious stage of I know everything therefore faith can't exist because it's not black and white and I can't explain it therefore it's not a real thing and um, during that time my grandmother who the uh, was the one that had read this psalm to me almost every single night uh, to the point where I was really tired of it. Um, she passed away uh, of cancer, and I was extremely upset by this because here's a woman who devoted her entire life to the church and to uh, at least what I at the time thought religion, and um, now she suffers this death, and that led to an even deeper time in my life, um, which resulted in me four years later being at a Bible camp. It's a long story. And... Um, I end up there, and the third day of this five-day camp, I was done. I was ready to leave, and the verse of the day was Psalm 139, and it was kind of this really cool way of my grandmother, who loved me to death, saying, sit down, shut up, and listen. <laughs> so I did, and uh, just that moment, the childhood memories being reflected back into that time, no matter all the bad things that happen, I realize that there are things in this life that can't be explained with math and science and equations and numbers and black and white, that there is faith, there is a gray area that we are not able to explain, and that's wonderful. It's a really good thing that we can't explain it, because if we could really comprehend how God works entirely, there would be no reason to worship him in the first place. Um, so I'm going to do my best here to get this thing up and running. I'm not sure why it's not, other than apparently I don't have a Wi-Fi signal, um, so I'm going to ask Zach to help me out here for a second if you jump over the next slide there. So the title of the sermon is He Knows Me. He knows you. He knows us. He knows everything. I mean everything. 
what's comfortable, what's uncomfortable. And I'm going to try and take us through a couple aspects of our lives that um, we are very well aware of, uh, the things that we kind of think we control because we make the choices that are involved in them, when in reality there is uh, the Lord who's really in control and has the knowledge of what's happening. Uh, The first is God knows our activities. He knows what we do. Um, He is concerned with what we do. Uh, He knows our habits, the good ones and the bad ones. We start in Psalm 139. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the ESV, but this will be verses 1 through 3. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Kind of sounds like Santa Claus, I'll be honest. When I was a kid, I listened to this at five, and I'm going, yeah, 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 no, do good, and you get stuff, and you do bad, and you don't get stuff. Cool. He's acquainted with all my ways. He knows. Um, and my grandparents very quickly um, were there to say, no, the, you know, the Lord's the one in control of that. Um, he sees uh, what we do. He sees the areas of weakness and strength. Um, he really sees them all, and he sees them better than we even see them in ourselves. We oftentimes will uh, either blind ourselves to the weak things or really lift ourselves up. I do this with uh, issues with ego, where I do something really good, and I'm like, yes, me, go me. I feel good about that. Um, and the Lord says, no, I, I really know that better than you. Um, so God knows our activities. Um, moving on, God also knows our thoughts. Um, verse 2, if we go back, says, uh, you know when I sit down and you know when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Um, this one is a little beyond what's tangible because it's like God's a mind reader. Well, yes and no, I think. Um, you've got a God who sees everything inside, not just your physical body, but also your thoughts. God knows everything you've ever thought about. Everything. Everything. Just think about that. Okay, now God knows you thought about that, right? Later on, you're going to see in verse 6, David says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Or as I translated that in the modern day English to, Wow, that blows me away. And I read that every time and I go, You know what, David? Me too. I feel the same way. So, how do we grasp a God who knows every thought that we've ever had? plus all the thoughts of every single person who's ever lived, who is still living, and will ever live on this earth. It's kind of difficult to take in. To put it in perspective, I have a hard time thinking about what I want for lunch today. Okay? This is one of those gentle reminders of how not God I am. Okay? Now, if God sees and knows everything I do and say and even think, how does that impact me? What does that mean to me? Now, what I think it means is that he has enormous power to encourage um, in what is right, but also to help in temptation. If we look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. I find this verse to be extremely encouraging because God knows in advance what we're going to face, and he promises a way out of that temptation. So he not only knows the struggle that's going on in my mind, but he sees it coming before I do, and he's preparing for me an escape route to get away from the temptation. It's pretty sweet. That's all happening before I get there. So because 
God then sees me when I'm being tempted, it actually provides a motivation for me not to give in to that temptation. I'll give you an example. Um, I don't want to do wrong when he's watching. I guess the other way of saying it is when you see the police officer sitting there with a radar gun, you don't want to speed. Okay? When Julie walks by my desk, I want to make sure I'm not playing solitaire. I don't ever play solitaire. Don't worry. Um, But Angry Birds. Um, Is there a game more frustrating? Really? No, the truth is, is that this week, you and I, we're going to face temptation. And I don't know when it's going to come or what it's even going to be, but the Lord does. And uh, he knows about it. He's already prepared the escape route for us, a way out of the temptation. So God knows our thoughts. What about our speaking, our words, our language, our tone? When you think about it, um, our thoughts lead to speaking, right? A lot of times we'll have a thought and we'll say it out loud. Or even worse, we'll say it out loud before we think about it. And uh, so picking it up in verse 4, it says, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. i got to be honest, this frustrates me. I'll share why. When I really think about it, I've said a lot of things that I regretted later after I said it. And I think that God, you already knew what I was going to say. You knew I was going to regret it. And you didn't give me any warning in advance. Okay, why, why couldn't you just tell me, hey, don't, just shut your mouth. Just in a loving, kind way, shut your mouth, right? It's like if God was going to send me an email every once in a while that was like, Friday at 1.39 p.m., hey, Jared, don't say anything, keep your mouth shut, use duct tape if you have to. <laughs> but I haven't gotten that email. And uh, listen, before anybody gets any real ideas on this, uh, don't send Peter an email at 9.45 on a Sunday morning, signing it God, okay, <laughs> Remember, we talked about this. He knows your thoughts. No, the truth is is that he does. He knows our thoughts, our speaking, our activities. But the big one, what about our plans? What we want to do? Uh, I remember vividly uh, the same grandparents I shared about earlier on their fridge, um, which uh, was definitely something from the late 60s with the wood panel, the handles, and it's awesome. Um, they had magnets and pictures everywhere because they were proud grandparents. I'm one of uh, nine. And so, uh, but there was a big magnet on there that I never understood. And when people would read it and they'd laugh, I would just laugh because I didn't dare pretend like I didn't know. And it said, um, uh, we plan in big letters and then a small and, we plan and God laughs. And... Um, I never understood that until I became an adult when all of the plans that were 100% me that I created from original thoughts would happen and they would succeed and I would give myself all the credit and then I would look back on what that plan was and realize that that success was nothing to do with what that plan was, right? The Lord can use what we think and what we, what we try to create in, oh, I'd like to do this. I think the Lord's leading me here. And he says, yes, that's a plan, absolutely, and I am going to direct your steps on that plan. So the reality is, is that, uh, that when we come up with an idea, it's not, we are not the ones to take credit for it in its entirety. Um, picking up in verse 7 here, we're talking about plans. says, where shall I go from your spirit? 
or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Stop. This is your seminary vocab word of the day. Okay? Sheol is Hebrew. Okay, it's a noun, and it literally translates to the invisible world of departed souls. Isn't that positive? <laughs> the invisible world of departed souls. Other translations will use the word uh, grave or depths. So if we read that again, um, where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths of the grave, you are there. If I take uh, the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light to you. David uses a lot of imagery here, a lot of poetic devices, um, all that to say there's absolutely nowhere you can go, nothing you can plan, nothing you can do to get away from God's plan for your life. Um, and that's Fun, yet also frustrating. If you're like me, I like to kind of be in control of things. And um, oftentimes, when I have that taken away from me, I sit there and go, what am I supposed to do now? I'm not a good sideline player. It's a fault. I recognized it. Uh, and, but that's what happens, right? But we look at this and say, not only does he know our plans, but he is with us while they are created. However, this also doesn't mean that the plans that are created together go exactly the way that we have in our mind. Um, how about this plan? Zach, I'm going to ask you to hit the next slide there. <laughs> look, 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 look. The season is coming, and uh, yeah, we're just going to leave it right there because we all know the tragic end. Uh, Look, if we don't tear the band-aid off now before the season starts, okay, we got to do it. We have to. Um, that was a plan, right? Zach, can you go back one slide for me? Look at that. He is wide open. And we can criticize all we want, but they made the right, it was the right plan. It just didn't get executed the way that we thought it would. Zach, can you move up a couple slides for me? So there are some plans that work out really, really well, however... I need to pause for a second. Lene helped me do this sermon, and this was the part where I kept trying to flip to new slides when she'd walk into the room because she had no idea I was going to use this part in the sermon. So that's Lene and I on Huntington Beach, and you obviously know what's going on there. Uh, I'll be honest, this plan worked out really, really well. <laughs> what else is there to do but heel clicks when you're engaged? Come on, she said, yes, it was awesome. Um, I have to share with you actually the best part of this story. Zach, you can go to the next slide for me. And just, uh, yeah, so okay, here's the deal. Um, here's what happened. Linnea was going on a beach trip over spring break with her friends, thinking that they planned it all together. It was going to be a wonderful day, and I, very tragically, was going to be stuck at work. Of course, every single friend that was there was in on what was about to happen. And so when I came to the beach, getting off of work early, her running towards me was not with anticipation of what was actually going to happen. It was just excitement that she got to see me. So we ran from distance, and as we got closer, Zach, next slide, and closer, next one. Okay, so then I run up, and I grab, and I go on one knee. She proceeds to follow me down on that one knee <laughs> as if I was going to share with her a secret that only she and I could know. 
like I said, sometimes plans are way better than we anticipate. Next slide there, Zach. Um, there it is. Uh, it's almost two years ago. Going on, it'll be August 13th. It'll be two years. Um, and I do want to clarify something just, just in case there's anybody else in the room that has any questions about this because, believe me, I know that there is. That is Linnea. She plays piano. She is my wife. You don't have to ask the question anymore or be worried about asking about it. Okay? Now we all know. Um, we have plans. Um, but sometimes we have plans that literally get turned so far upside down that we know that it was only the Lord who is involved. And I'm going to share with you a story. Um, if you were here during the night of worship, you saw a group from California Baptist University that was on a trip. Uh, if you're not here, I'll kind of give a brief rundown. Uh, at the school that I graduated from, I was a part of an ensemble that was eight members uh, traveling over the summer for 10 weeks, singing every single day in a van, 15-passenger um, van with seats taken out. Okay, so eight people, eight seats, 10 weeks. You think it's hot in here? Believe me. Okay, and uh, I was so excited to be a part of this because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my summer. I knew this group was going to go from uh, Southern California all the way up through New York, down through Tennessee, and then I-10 straight across back to California. And I thought, okay, the Lord wants me to be involved with worship. What better way to do it than every single day of my summer? Um, He's been giving me this talent, and I just really got kind of a big head about it. And about halfway through the trip, it was... uh, the week before the 4th of July, we were in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. If you've had the opportunity to be there, you know that the city is just covered in history. Um, they were doing some Civil War reenactment things, and we were singing an Americana concert. And right beforehand, I was given a piece of paper that was the preamble, and they said, we'd like you to read this. And I said, fantastic. Now, uh, it was 108 degrees, and it was, and I kid you not, it was 275% humidity. It was ridiculous. Um, and... I'm sweating, and all of a sudden I realize I don't, I don't feel very good, and I've never really had a heat stroke, but that's exactly what I thought it was. And that paper that I held in my hand started to kind of look like a, a big blob of cotton balls. And I got through it, and to be honest with you, I don't remember a thing about the concert. I just remember waking up the middle of that night feeling like I had been stabbed um, right in the abdominal area and was confused. It was a Saturday night. We had to sing super early the next morning. And when we woke up at five, I told the guys that I was staying with, um, you know, I think I need to go to the hospital. Now, the issue is that the entire summer I'd been complaining about early mornings. And so they're going, yeah, 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 get out of bed, put your stuff on, we're going. And I said, no, um, I think this is real. So our leader calls the church to cancel the concert. The church says, um, well, no, actually, our, one of our lead elders is actually a doctor at Gettysburg Memorial. Uh, come here first. And it took him all of 15 seconds to realize that my appendix was rupturing, which hurts. And um, really the next thing I know is I'm sitting in a bed uh, in getting prepped for surgery. Uh, We went through, the best part is when you go to the ER with a doctor who works in that ER, you bypass all that waiting. You bypass the triage nurse and they just, the first thing they did is they just pumped me full of dilaudid, which for those of you that don't know, it's kind of like morphine on steroids. Um, and I felt fantastic. <laughs> they, t- they do the surgery. Everything was fine and routine. Uh, I spent two days in the hospital, and just as luck would have it, because of the way the, the group was traveling, they actually were able to circle back and pick me up. The issue was that I was not permitted to sing or stand or do anything at all for pretty much the rest of the trip, and I was mad. 
I was mad. I was mad at God in that moment because I said, okay, you put me here. You were so clear in what the plan was going to be, right? And now I'm here and I'm going and you've, you've just, you've benched me. And I didn't understand and I was, and I really, really, really was mad. Um, so Sunday's the surgery. Tuesday, I get out. Thursday, I get a phone call from the surgeon, the, the surgeon's office. And they said, we just want to go over the post-op with you. Kind of let you know about how things went. It was very routine. You're in great health. Uh, you need to check in in a week with another doctor to get everything um, taken care of. And he goes, oh, by the way, uh, you do need to know this, though. When we took your appendix out, it had almost completely ruptured, but it hadn't completely. Um, and what we found on the part that was still there was a tumor um, that was, in his word, was carcinoid. And I just kind of pretended like I knew what that was. And so we got off the phone, and I just kind of Googled it right away. Um, it was cancerous. Now, the first thing I did is I called my doctor right back. It's like, why couldn't you just use the real word? And that would have been helpful. And I've never heard of... <laughs> but they never do. <laughs> um, I said, I, I've never heard of cancer of the appendix, so I guess my question to you is, what does that mean? He goes, well, when, when a cancerous tumor is on the appendix, it goes to the pancreas or liver. That's where it goes. And yours was just about that size. And he goes, um, he says, I understand that you're a man of faith, and I just want to let you kind of give you some perspective then. Your appendicitis probably saved your life. So here's me, mad at God for putting me on the sidelines, when in reality, he gave me an opportunity to understand that he had saved my life. The plans that we have, whether we, they're executed the way that we think they should be or not, ultimately are ex- executed in the way they're supposed to be, okay? And even though we don't always see the light at the end of the metaphorical tunnel right away, we know that when we go through those issues, those trials, those burdens, ultimately there's a blessing coming. It happens. It really does. Um, so I just wanted to share that story with you. Um, so we've talked about four really important parts of our lives. Okay, we talked about our, um, our actions, what we do. We talked about our speaking and thinking and our plans. And these are all things that we have some control over, but there's one that we had absolutely no control over. Okay, and that's our beginning. And he knows that. He knows our beginning. Starting in verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Picking up in verse 15. uh, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. It's deep, actually. Um... Really, really, really deep. Um, Zach, next slide. This is my beginning. Come on, look at that kid. (laughs) Then there's this um, with perfect blonde hair. Also, here's the deal. Uh, I had somebody who shall remain nameless in case they're going to listen to this later on the podcast go, oh my gosh, you had a retro Russell Wilson jersey, number three. I was seven. So was he, okay? I've been a Seahawks fan since Rick Meyer was the quarterback. I know sadness, okay? 
So that's the beginning of my fandom as a Seahawks fan. Um, go to the next slide there. Um, no, he, I know that he made me that way, that I would have uh, blonde hair then and dark hair now, that uh, I would be maybe a little bit shorter than I would like to be, um, and that's okay because I have to trust that I was made in his image perfectly which is hard because we live in a society that wants to tell you that the way you look and the way you are is not good enough. Right? I mean, this is true. We see it everywhere. Verse 13 again says, David says, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Would you say the same thing David did? Would you? Image is very, very difficult to deal with. Um, the reality is that you can go out and buy anything that will make you stronger, faster, better looking, skinnier, more muscular, look younger, look older. If you want to change something about you, you can go do it. And the issue is that in order to sell these things, we have to create a need for them. So the industry says, and this is Harold Kushner from uh, PBS, tomorrow morning, if every woman in America woke up feeling good about her appearance, the American economy would collapse. <laughs> Whole industries are built on the notion that women are afraid that they will, be lovable, will not be lovable unless they measure up to some standard of perfection. Well, what's that standard of perfection? We see this by using Photoshop images of airbrushed supermodels that are holding a tube of this or a box of that with a big giant logo spread across it, implying that if you were to start using said product, you will look as perfect as this digitally edited person. And we buy in, right? Here's the deal. If I start wearing Chanel number no. 5 cologne, I'm going to look like Brad Pitt. <laughs> well, if I buy that, that's essentially what I mean, right? Because that's the advertisements working in our lives. So what's the point? Well, the point is that God created you exactly the way that you are. And it's part of his perfect plan. And sometimes we have other plans. And he says... I wanted you to have the exact skills and abilities and talents that you have. And, uh, sorry, I lost my place here. And this is my perfect design for you. Do you look at the way that you're made and say, wow, God, you did a great job on me. I am wonderfully made. Thank you. No, many of us are actually like Job. We see Job 9.20. Everything I say seems to condemn me, which is another positive verse of your day. Many of us... We're actually pretty self-critical. I know I am. My entire career is based on singing. And yet when I hear a recording of myself, I tell everyone, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. I can't stand it because I will notice every single flaw that's there when no one else in the room will. Some of us do this. We walk into this room smiling. And even though we don't say it out loud, inwardly we say things like, gosh, I'm, just, I'm a little overweight or I feel slow or... I don't feel attractive, or I'm a bad person, or I'm late for this, or I'm uncoordinated, or please, dear Lord, don't let me spill coffee anywhere. Um, I would encourage you to stop putting yourself down, and, and kind of here's, here's why. Uh, when you put yourself down, you ultimately point to the creator who made you. Um, and this is really difficult, because it's not an ego thing. It's not saying, I'm awesome, go me. It's, wow, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, thank you, Lord. You are a marvelous creation, and you are designed exactly the way that he wanted you. God's value in us has nothing to do with our image, our talents. And we know this because God has made a plan for your life. It says it right in the psalm. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. This, 
literally means that God values you and loves you so much that before the foundations of the earth were laid, he wrote all the days of your life in his book. Do you feel valued on that? You must. He knows you. He knows me. He knows us all inside and out. Heavenly Father, we we are thankful today for your creation. And in that creation, humanity, Lord, I am thankful for the people that are here, the people that will hear this in any capacity. Lord, I am feeling extremely grateful for the opportunity to come up and speak. Um, We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you do know us. You know us better than we know ourselves. And even though that is scary, even though that we want to remain in control of some way, Continue to show us your path, your plan, guide our steps. And when we feel tempted, when we feel down, when we feel like our self-esteem has, been, has hit rock bottom, let us remember that you have made us perfectly, as your word says. And if we question our value, let us remember that all of the days of our lives were written before the earth was formed You had us in mind before anything else, and we're thankful. We love you. We praise this in your name. Amen.